KRCL, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. Weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones in studio tonight with Dr. David Derizotis. Sorry. Derizotis. Derizotis of the Peace and Conflict Studies program at the U of U. And Billy Palmer, Director of Civic Engagement. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Okay. So, first of all, a big thank you to everyone who donated during Radiothon on Dr. Dave's night when he was here. Thank you so very much. And if you missed out on the Radiothon fun, you can... Go to KRCL.org, hit that big donate button, and there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of goodies we left for you, just in case you wanted something. So do check out that. All right, Dr. Dave, coming up on the show is a panel discussion that you have been wanting to do for a while about privilege by talking to folks who have a lot of it. Right. You know, this year we've been uh, focusing on women's issues because uh-huh. we thought um, we would have a President Clinton but, you know, uh, even though she didn't get elected, um, we've discovered there's still sexism, right? Oh, yeah. In the world. <clears throat> so there's plenty to talk about. And a couple weeks ago, we had some uh, women talking about their perspective on the Me Too movement. And so tonight we're going to have some gentlemen uh, talking about their perspective. Excellent. And uh, among those gentlemen, a couple of folks you know, a couple of folks I know, and Dr. Susan Madsen mm-hmm. of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. I remember, I, I think it may have been former state senator Stephen Urquhart who said, we're going to have some women there, right? Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's the biggest problem for white men in talking about privilege is they don't want to be the only ones talking about it. So becomes an interesting conversation that we're going to try and model for everybody. So stick around for that. Mm. Also on the show, we got VOA of Utah. They're about ready to open another facility. League of Women Voters of Utah with their interim legislative update. But first, rallies and resources. Billy Palmer, what you got? Hey there. I've got, uh, well, we've got Tommy here too. So he'll be talking about some things that he would like to get um, out there. But uh, I was going to start with a panel discussion uh, that's coming up. It's with uh, Allison Hart. It's really cool. That's tonight at 7 o'clock, and it's uh, spanning four generations of mixed-race family. Uh, I will admit that's a little close to my heart. Uh But uh, she'll be uh, speaking um, tonight. Uh, That's at 7 o'clock at the Salt Lake Public Library. So if you're sitting at home and you're thinking about something to do, there you go. Uh, so also, uh, going to be up at the state Capitol and this is, uh, uh, going to be on Wednesday. Okay. But, uh, there is a public hearing and, uh, it's organized by the Utah house and Senate Democrats, but they're looking to discuss medical cannabis public hearing is what it's called. So, uh, they're looking to discuss uh, proposition two and, uh, hopefully fill people in on what their point of view is. So we thought we'd throw that in there in the mix. Uh, there is going to be a really cool thing. So, uh, the Utah Pride Center and Racially Just Utah have both sort of teamed up, and they're um, uh, asking for people to join them for a panel discussion regarding the school-to-prison pipeline and how it affects students in the LGBTQ+. Um, so I th- that one is going to be on Thursday, uh, the 25th, um, and that is going to be at the Pride Center as well. So um, that is something I think I'm very interested in seeing because mm-hmm. – um, we don't we don't consider that um, very often, but 
there's a lot of there's a lot of different nuances to um, punishment in schools, and and there's a lot of uh, restorative justice going on. So there's something else going on this weekend uh, that's related to that. It's it is a national week of action against school pushout. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's our Know Your Rights training at Glendale uh, Branch Library coming up this Saturday uh, that relates to school pushout and school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, if you feel like you need to get educated on that, because this could happen to pretty much any kid, uh, that you find your kid starts to get into a little bit of trouble at school, and pretty soon there's this huge dip, and next thing you know, they're in the justice system. And as we know, it takes three to five years to get out of the justice system once you're in it. In the meantime, you lose out on uh, good grades and being in band and on teams and all those types of things. So something to think about. Uh, and then there's one more thing that I, th- I thought it was pretty important. All of my things are fairly heavy. <laughs> but this one is um, about Matthew Shepard. Uh, I think it's uh, really close to the um, anniversary of when he was... Uh, beaten to death in Wyoming. And so the First United Methodist Church is putting together uh, a, a viewing of Consider Matthew Shepard. Uh, it's a Utah premiere, and that's taking place on Friday. So that's going to be at 7.30, and that's all the things I have. I'm going to turn it over to Tommy. Tommy Sutter, our volunteer, one of two volunteers now on Monday nights, uh, show sharing with Brooke Estes. Hey, Tommy, how was your weekend? <laughs> hey, sorry. Uh, waiting for that perfect cue. Uh, it was great. I, uh, I came back from Tennessee, uh, spent some time outside this weekend, so I wanted to share some things uh, going on in the environment with y'all. Um, first thing, uh, Salt Lake County Public Open House on Utah's Roadless Rule. Oh, uh, yeah. This will be tomorrow night from 5 to 7 p.m. <clears throat> at the County Complex, which is 2001 South Street, uh, South State Street in Salt Lake City. So again, uh, Utah's roadless rule. Um, the governor's office argues that roads are needed to prevent and fight the wildfires that envelop uh, the West for most of the year. It's not just about our RVing, our ATVing, excuse me. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> add a couple roads, right? One should also know that only 10% of the acreage burned in the last five years was within Forest Service roadless areas. So if you want to come hear a little bit more about this, uh, you can join our campaign to make helpful amendments to Utah's roadless rule. Uh, first, read the information on Save Our Canyons website, and then attend the open house from 5 p.m. on Tuesday the 23rd. And okay. we've got all that on the Rallies and Resources page, so folks can go there and click and get all the details. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, one thing I want to mention about that, Tommy, is that the reason Salt Lake County is holding a public open house is because lawmakers aren't holding a public open house in Utah. Oh, this. wow. And excuse me, in Salt Lake County on this. So, well, you know, it was also really interesting. I was driving home from a, a trip in Wyoming this uh, this fall, and there were the, all those fires up in Echo Canyon. Yeah. And I think there were seven accounts of arson. So, you know, a lot of these fires are, are people started. Uh, I'm not saying that they're intentional or anything among that, you know, sense but but they are caused by people so um this is an interesting way to kind of look at how uh forest fires start and what we can do to help prevent them and how many people really need to to travel down these roads Mm -hmm. Uh, what else you got uh, next i have a super fun event going on for the rest of the week uh there's a film going on in salt lake city uh shot by national geographic it's called free solo it's a stunning, intimate, and unflinching portrait of free soloist climber Alex Honnold uh, as he prepares to l- achieve his lifelong dream, 
climbing the face of El Capitan and oh, uh, Yosemite without a rope. That's totally insane. Isn't so it? it's it's a super cool film that's yeah. going on this week. It's uh, shot for a very limited time. Um, the reason I wanted to bring this up, Free Solo is an event not only celebrating climbing, but also our national parks. Please be sure to support organizations such as the Access Fund, Connect Climbing, and the Salt Lakes Climbers Alliance to help preserve these amazing climbing destinations. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Tommy Sutter. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting me do I that. I have just a couple of things, Dr. Dave. Uh, you know, did you get your ballot in the mail, by the way? Yes. Good. Have you filled it out and sent it back? It's getting launched tomorrow. There you go. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of different events where folks are gathering together to talk about what's on the ballot. You can bring it. You can get educated. For instance, tomorrow at 6 p.m., the Taggart Student Center in Logan. Where do you draw the line? The redistricting battle in Utah. You can go and find out all about that. Then there is also a March for Our Lives Utah Candidate Town Hall, 6 p.m. at West High. So check out that. And you can go to Rallies and Resources and find some other stuff along those lines. Lastly, I wanted to bring up the University of Utah S.J. Quinney College of Law. They're celebrating Pro Bono Week. And it starts with some award ceremonies. Um, but then Tuesday night, there's a street law clinic blitz at the Horizonte School, 1234 South Main Street in the cafeteria from 5 to 630 so do check out that. And there's a pro bono through the clinical program panel um, Thursday, 1215 to 115, helping the needy through the clinical program. So interesting and interested in some pro bono. It's pro bono week, University of Utah. You got anything, Dr. Dave, you want to mention? Um, that we all need to vote. Vote. Don't you think? Register to vote, vote. I got a 16-page email from Voterize today, vote, Billy vote, Palmer. Vote, 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 vote. When Go you ahead. sign up through Voterize, they send you all these <coughs> reminders. And so I got an email that has every candidate with a, a link to their email and their website. Everybody's running. That reminds me, Capital Steps coming up in just a minute. Kathy Bray is here. <laughs> yes, and I'm going to vote too. Oh, <laughs> have you got your ballot? Yes, I got okay. it and actually sent it in. Did you? Great. I did. Congratulations. I, I always feel cheated because I don't get the I voted sticker, so I usually take it <laughs> to a, a voting center so I can get a sticker. You're still voting, so that's what counts. There you go. So the Center for Women and Children is about to reopen under Volunteers of America of Utah. Yes, it is. And we're just so excited. Wednesday, we're going to have a grand opening. It's our center that's out in Murray. Um, we had it previously for about 15 years lost some funding, and now we're going to reopen, and it'll be similar to what it was before. So how long has it been closed? About four years. Yeah. So where'd the funding come from? This time around. New push? Yeah. This time around, the funding really came through the um, Collective Impact on Homelessness initiative that was um, supported by uh, Mayor Ben McAdams and a lot of businesses and concerned individuals and organizations. So the, um, the funding came through the State Homeless Coordinating Committee. Um, they uh, gave us some funding to remodel and also to support the first year of operations. And so that's what we're doing. We're providing access to treatment so that less people go to the emergency shelters. Well, and, and the women can keep their children with them, Dr. Yeah. Dave. Yes. Kathy, do you think that reflects a changing attitude that people are having towards homeless folks? I think... Um, Yes, I think that people understand um, through this uh, conversations in the community that there are so many people 
in need of substance addiction treatment and access. And so the detox centers provide that immediate access. And I'm hoping that, especially with the opiate epidemic that we're seeing across the nation and here in Utah, that um, we will continue to have years of support for these programs that are being expanded this past year, not just Volunteers of America, but other residential programming as well. How important is it for a mother to have her children with her as she's dealing with this? Some would say she needs to be separated from her children. Right. And the la- when we were open for the last 15, for those 15 years, I was curious about that myself. And what I found was that what we found is that many times be- when a woman has to come in for residential detox services, her children may already be with her family. In some cases, they may already be in state's custody, depending on the circumstances. But when they are still together, why not try to keep them together and help them heal together? So the idea is that the children up to age 10 can come in with mom. Uh, Typically, it's not something they haven't seen before. They've Mm -hmm. seen mom detox before. Um, They actually are more traumatized when they're separated in Mm -hmm. those circumstances in many cases. And so the staff help watch the children and play with them, and and, uh, we watch mom. So it's a sober living environment, Mm -hmm. and the support is there to help them with that. Um, So how many beds do you have? It'll be 32 beds, and of course we'll have staff 24 hours a day. And that means that we can take women in who are in need of detox. That means they're under the influence of alcohol or opiates or methamphetamine, cocaine, any kind of combinations of addictive substances. And then we can watch that they get uh, through that withdrawal safely and help them get into recovery. What would you say would be the average stay uh, these days? In um, treatment mm-hmm. or yeah. with, um, a, with a detox with process. a detox d- with a detox center, typically people are done with their acute detox within the first week. Okay. Um, at our downtown facility, where we have an additional seventy plus beds, um, it, they can stay two weeks. So, th- what would be your typical involvement with a with a mom and her children then? So when, we, when moms come in with their children, typically the first few days, it's just about resting or getting through the withdrawal symptoms, which could be they could feel terrible, um, very sick, in a lot of pain. Um, and then we watch the child during that period so that mom can just get through that part. Now, they may also need uh, medication-assisted treatment, which we do coordinate with Project Reality primarily mm. for people with opiates, and we, they can um, have methadone and Suboxone and Vivitrol, and so we're really updated to the best practices to help people get through it. So is this for women just in that critical period, or is it a longer residential program? It's primarily for the critical period. And uh, then we will partner with other longer-term programs um, that are all along Salt Lake County's Behavioral Health Network. We can send them to the House of Hope, to Odyssey House, to uh, Valley Behavioral Health Programs for women with children. So we have a few options. And then we can lengthen the stay at our facility to accommodate a direct placement into those facilities. We're working out those details. That was my question, because Mm -hmm. if you detox and you detox to the street, that detox can be wasted. So you're syncing up. We're trying to sync up as much as we can. And the more treatment um, it gets expanded, the more connections we can directly make. And now with this new facility opening and the downtown facility, we'll have about 110 detox beds available for people in need in Salt Lake County. 
That's great news. So, yeah. Kathy, how can people get involved? I'm guessing with a new center, you need more volunteers? Yes, we're going to be um, utilizing volunteers for um, meal prep and delivery, um, for arts and crafts projects, so that the staff do the actual work in terms of supporting withdrawal, and, and then the volunteers help support the uh, activities be beyond that. And so, voaut.org, and there's links there for employment, for volunteer opportunities, and to learn more about the services. Hey, thanks for coming in, Kathy. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Love the work thanks you do everyone. at VOA Utah. Appreciate it. Uh -huh. We also have Emily Walsh in the studio coming back for a recap of the interim session up at the Utah Legislature. There's still some stuff going on today. There, Well, a little bit. There was the roundtable on uh, women's post-secondary <laughs> education mm -hmm. that was hosted by Women in the Economy Commission. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and um, Rebecca Chavez-Hauk and Becky Edwards headed that up today. And it was great. There were a lot of people in the room from education, various aspects, you know, politicians in the room, people from the business community discussing the importance of women in Utah completing secondary education. Uh, women in Utah tend not to, and that's one of the reasons we rank low. You know, those studies that come out over the summer that say Utah ranks 50th in the nation. Part of that is because women don't complete ah. certificates or diplomas. Um, they go to college, but they don't mm. matriculate. So. so they're trying to figure out how to get people back into school? Yeah, what, what it is about, uh, about the education system that causes women in Utah to leave. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting conversations. Um, and Enlightened? In, there were some enlightened ones. There were interesting people in the room. Uh, we had some fiscal analysts who work for the legislature mm -hmm. in um, higher ed. So there, that was an interesting perspective that we haven't had in this conversation before. Well, you look at foreign aid as and how we spend it in developing countries. As a country, we like to focus on the women and children because the women will invest in themselves, their families, their children. Right. So well, let's take that attitude here and with some unique programs. So what they talked about is that increasingly, just like in public education, higher education is being required to provide social services for their students. Um, and you have that moment where we're all sitting in the room where, well, maybe if we adequately supported financially our social services, then education wouldn't have to take about that Prop 30? <laughs> I am going to in a minute. Okay. <laughs> so things like mental health, child care is a big issue. A lot of women feel like once they get married and become a mom, it's that or school, that they can't do both. Yeah. For some reason, it's an all or nothing proposition and there's no blending. Um, so there needs to be some education there flexibility. We're still not great at the whole yeah. online um, college thing. Funding. Um, Utah does not, ki kids that go to college or adults that go to college don't really apply for um, financial aid. And it's really puzzling a lot uh, through it's the discussions. There. It's there and everyone should apply for it. But for some reason, most people are not. That's something I think the league could get involved in putting the word out about. Well, I, I think everybody could get yeah. involved. It, it would apparently the state misses out on, I want to say $30 million a year because our students don't apply for financial aid. Wow. Yeah. It's okay. pretty, pretty amazing. Take note. I wanted to know about the anti proposition groups. We've heard about the anti-prop two, but there's an anti-prop three yes. that has popped up. That's the 
to not expand Medicaid. To not expand Medicaid. So um, I happened to cross that press conference, walking through the rotunda, rounded the corner, and there were all these white men in suits. <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that later, Dr. Dave. So, you know, our, our legislators, mostly from uh, Utah County and Northern Davis County, uh, a lot of the um, very, I, I don't know whether, sometimes they're libertarian and sometimes they're far right, um, saying about... Uh, I walked into the middle of this, but um, as a number of us did, and uh, encouraging people not to vote for it. A lot of fear mongering going on because of the woodwork, so called woodwork effect. We're all just yeah, we're gonna go bankrupt and everything's gonna go to heck, you know, uh, sort of thing. Uh, and then they introduced that bill. Andreg got up there and he said, "I don't even need the mic." And held up this piece of paper and said, here is the draft bill to roll back Medicaid at the special session should Prop 3 pass. So should Prop 2 pass, should Prop 3 pass, they've got plans to roll those back, the people's wishes. So if you really feel passionately about these and you have voted for them, as the legislative action director for the League of Women Voters, I would highly suggest that not only you vote for them, but you contact your legislators and tell them how you want them to vote on these bills. Mm -hmm. um, that you want them to vote no, if that's how you feel about it, because we're gonna need to do a little more advocacy than just vote on these propositions, it looks like, because they've already got, and there's no way for us to see this draft legislation because it's Even though he held it up? Even though he held it up, he didn't yeah. show it to us. There you go. So um, that was an interesting thing to come across after having walked out of education uh, and listening to safe schools uh, recommendations. Lots of recommendations for mental health. Mental health seems to be a theme at the legislature lately. We well, got to expand Medicaid if you want to get right? all those mental health dollars right. into schools. Yeah, um, they're looking. They have a proposal to put. What it would do is put one mental health counselor for every two schools in Utah. Right now, it's about person be running night and day. Well, right now, it's one mental health counselor for about two thousand children. Wow. Yeah. So. What's the, um, what's the uh, reason from your perspective for the mental health push? Well, there's... Spot red flags early. Yeah. is uh, this A lot of this was based on um, suicide rates yeah. and Safe Utah app, and there is the risk assessment part. They mm -hmm. didn't go really deep into that. They're going to go into that more in November. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing they were talking about is retrofitting schools, um, and that how the schools are so different. Some are new, some are old. The retrofit needs are going to be very different. Um, but at the end of it, safe schools is going to cost an extra $1 billion. Ooh, wow. And they are being directed to education appropriations who, you know, it's been a while since I looked at that sheet, but I don't think they even had $1 billion. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> a couple more things we want to squeeze in. Uh, Senator calling the BEDL appropriations pork barrel buffet. What oh, is BEDL, yeah. first of all? Okay, well, it's commonly called Beetle, and we've talked about it here on the show before. It's business, economic development, and labor appropriations, and they fund all those fun little, you know, Here's my sarcasm. Super necessary things like the golf tournaments and the air what? shows and the fireworks. Um, you know, the things because we don't have money to do the study on equal wages 
or <laughs> fund some Span of these other aid. Yeah, like so how one much? billion for safe schools? Let's fund golf tournaments. Yeah. So they well, there's no way we can do Beetle, so we'll just do the the golf tournament. Yeah. <laughs> so this Beetle um, appropriation subcommittee was handed from um, legislative leadership. Um, they wanted them to look at overhauling how appropriations is done. So they w- leadership wants to overhaul appropriations. Um, that could be a good thing. Could not. I don't. They've only been doing. They've been doing it the way they have for 25 years, uh-huh. and they think they can do it better. But it was interesting because Senator Anderegg referred to. We got to get him on with you. Referred to a beetle as the pork barrel buffet, and then Jeremy. Representative Jeremy Peterson said, I'm going to correct you. It's the pork barrel beauty pageant because they parade through and we decide who we like the best. Oh, wow. And then I don't like it, either of those analogies. Not to be undone, um, Representative Tim Quinn referred to the appropriations process as a BS dog and pony show. I like kind of like that one. So what do you think, Dr. Dave? I I can't disagree with any of them. Uh, That's kind of how appropriations go. Let's end on an up note and vote, <laughs> vote, vote. You have a voter guide out. We do. It's uh, vote411.org. And you can find out more about the propositions and the amendments and the question. You can find out more about who is on your ballot and how they've responded to the questions we have sent them. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, there was a quick report, provisional ballots. Oh, Looks yeah. like they're ready to go. They feel really confident about that because every county does provisional ballots. And now it's a matter of you're going to have to count the provisional ballots. There's going to be yeah. more going because in. of the same day um, voter yeah, registration. They, and they decide looking at the numbers for when they did the trial and during the primaries, they had about the same number of provisional ballots as hmm. they normally do. So they don't feel like it's going to be overwhelming. Um, one of the things they want to make sure people know is that you need to bring voter ID. Okay. Um, what, is, what is that? Because I'm watching across the country. And does Utah have anything <laughs> screwy or is it pretty standard? No, you know what? Utah's pretty amazing as far as voter ID goes. And I, I had sent you a link. So if we we'll can put in that there. in the show notes, uh-huh. that would be great. But um, so if you only have one form of ID is a current Utah, a valid Utah driver's license um, a valid ID card issued by the state or a branch department or agency of the United States, um, <laughs> U- a valid Utah permit to carry a concealed weapon. Ooh, that comes in handy. A currently valid United States passport or a valid tribal ID card, whether or not the ID the card includes a photograph of the voter. And that's where we differ from many of the other states. And then, or you have to have two forms of ID, um, a current utility bill or a copy dated within 90 days, a bank or other financial account statement or legible copy thereof, a certified birth certificate, a valid social security card. I walk a, around with all that. A check issued by the state or federal government or a legible copy thereof, a oh my paycheck from the voter's employer or a legible copy thereof, a current valid Utah hunting or fishing license, <laughs> a current valid U.S. military ID card, certified naturalization documents, and they have not a green card, um, a certified copy of court records showing the voter's adoption or name change, Bureau of <coughs> Indian Affairs card, a tribal treaty card, a voter Medicaid or Medicare or electronic benefits transfer card, 
a current valid ID card issued by a local government within the state, a current valid ID card issued by an employer, a current valid ID card issued by a college, university, technical school, or professional school within the state, a current Utah vehicle registration. So it's pretty yeah. flexible. Those ID cards they've issued for Operation Rio Grande should work then. I, I have one question. When it says a state ID or mm-hmm. some sort of form of state ID, does that include uh, a student ID? Was that on your list? Yes. Okay, oh. great. All right. Yeah. So the yes, message here, folks, is vote. <laughs> and uh, since politics is weighing heavily... I don't know if you guys know this group, the Capital Steps. Have you ever heard them or seen yes, them? Yes, I have seen them. Well, they're going to be in town at the Commonwealth Room coming up on tomorrow night, actually. So I got to speak with Mark Eaton, who is one of the members of the group, about what they do. So they do satire songs, and it evolved out of staff members for Republican members of Congress almost 30 years ago. Here's my conversation with Mark Eaton, and yes, you're not going to hear my joke about Mark Eaton, the basketball player, but I, I'll put that in the extended version. There's no just good-natured ribbing, I don't think, anymore. He just makes some people angry, some people love to see him mocked, some people don't like to see him mocked. So it's uh, it's an interesting time. You know, we, we, we laugh because uh, we did a song about Scaramucci. <laughs> who, of course, had a job for 10 days. And the fact that anybody ever knew who the director of White House Communications was in the first place seemed ridiculous. And we're still doing the song about it. <laughs> so I see you got your own MAGA going on. Oh, yes. <laughs> Make America Grin Again. Yes, that's our newest album. So over the, the different administrations, does, do you notice a change in the audience? Or is there a consistency through the audience and what they want? Well, I think there's a consistency in that people know we're political satire. They know we're equal opportunity offenders. So we're going to have to, you know, we'll go after the president, then we'll go after the elected officials and and, and everybody and anything that's in the headlines and anything that's funny. Um, but, you know, sometimes it gets a little – it does get a little one-sided feeling because, you know, you've got a case right now. The Democrats uh, don't have – you know, they don't have the House, they don't have the Senate, and they don't have the White House. So sometimes I think some – some hardcore Republicans maybe feel like we're going after them a little too hard, but we, we try our best to even it up. Well, you know, and if anybody thinks that it's political, uh, your roots uh, as a troop or as Republican staff members for Republican members of Congress. Yeah, the, the group actually got started uh, back in 1981, and it was a Senate office Christmas party for Charles Percy, who was a Republican. And, um, you know, as the legend says, we wanted to do a traditional nativity play. But in all of Congress, we couldn't find three wise men or a virgin. Oh, that bottom chuck. <laughs> That's where that joke came from. Got That's it. where that came from. Well, you like to say you put the mock in democracy. So how, how do you put this show together uh, under no fairness doctrine? <laughs> you know, our show is, uh, you know, a 90-minute show might be 30, roughly 30-odd song parodies or skits. Most of it is song parodies, so we always tell folks, think Weird Al meets politics. Um, and then we have a couple spoken bits as well, but it's uh, kind of whatever's in the headlines. We try to add things and delete things um, as the headlines change, and ultimately it's the audience that really decides what's in the show. We have written plenty of things that we think is funny and that everybody is aware of, and you get outside of Washington, D.C., nobody's ever heard of it, don't think it's funny in the least, and we just move along. Wait till the next story break. Yeah, how does it play in Iowa? <laughs> Well, that's what we always say. You know, you want it to play inside the Beltway, and you want it to play in Peoria. You know, we try to make it. Uh, we try to use pretty broad, 
strokes. You don't have to be a political junkie or anything like that. And um, you know, sometimes when a, we think a story is big and maybe it's not, if the if the late night comedians tend to start talking about it. That usually means that uh, everybody out there knows about it. I see. Okay. So you guys are out on tour, and Trump is as well. In fact, today he promised a 10% tax cut to the middle class before elections. Hey, how's that? I know. Oh, that almost sounds like he's a politician all of a sudden. I know, right? So. Give, me, give me your Trump. Well, I mean, my, my Trump is fantastic. I think you're really going to like it. It's the best Trump. Fantastic. Nobody does Trump like me. Now, promise me 10% tax cut before elections. I'm going to give you uh, the best thing I could possibly do, tax cuts for the middle class. You're going to love it. Fantastic. You know, it's times like this that I'm glad, personally, I'm not a taxpayer, but I know that people really like to save on taxes. <laughs> You're kicking off my bronchitis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got doctors for that. They both have graduated from Trump University, so they're fantastic doctors. They'll take great care of you. So what should Utah expect? We've got our own <laughs> politics here. Trump came here to slash and burn the uh, public lands back to uh, 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 what GOP would say would be their right size. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did hack those back a little bit. But you know, they, uh, you know, we, we used to do a song called "Mine Every Mountain," which was basically the Republicans' theme of going into the parks and putting up oil derricks and and things like that. Mine every mountain. Every stream, level every hillside, everything that's green. It just goes back and forth, right? The Republicans get in power, they roll things back, Democrats get in power, they push things further. We, that's why, you know, that's what we'd like to say is a two-party system, because once one party gets elected, they screw up, and then the other party likes to party. Yay, because they messed up, and then it kind of switches roles. Ah, That's why it's a two-party system. So basically, Congress is the gift that keeps on giving to the capital steps. Yes, because the problem with political jokes is that sometimes they get elected. Oof. (laughs) Ba-dum-chuck. So uh, you guys are coming to town. Got anything special on this tour besides Scaramucci Uh. and Trump? Uh, nothing, nothing terribly extra special other than the, the normal stuff. I mean, you're going to see a cavalcade. I mean, you're going to see, you know, Trump and Scaramucci and Melania and Hillary, uh, Barack. Ghost Biden. of Ronald Reagan? Well, I don't, I, am, I don't know about that, but we'll try. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit everything. The Supreme Court will come out. They might sing for you. The liberal members of the Supreme Court will come out and sing a song Will for one you. of them yell at us instead of sing? <laughs> Well, Kavanaugh might yell at you, depending on what he's had to drink the night before. <laughs> and that's the Capitol Steps, Mark Eaton. They're going to be in town tomorrow night at the Commonwealth Room. Doors at 7, show at 8. It is 21 plus. Tickets still available. When we come back, we're going to be talking about privilege. So to get from here to there, Chain and the Gang, I've Got Privilege on 90.9 KRCL.
support for 90.9 FM KRCL provided by Schneider Auto Carrosserie Body and Paint. Offering collision repair and restoration to pre-accident condition for most cars and light trucks. Schneider Auto negotiates directly with insurance companies. Details, services, hours, and location at schneiderauto.net. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru. Offering service along the Wasatch Front, including a Subaru Valet program. When services do, specialists pick up wherever is convenient. With extended service hours, open until 8 p.m. on weekdays. More information at markmillersubaru.co. Welcome back to Radioactive on 90.9 FM KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, Democracy Now! at 7, Red, White, and Blues at 8, and at 10.30, Night Train. You can get the whole schedule at krcl.org. Dr. Dave is here. You've been wanting to dig into this panel uh, about privilege with with folks who on paper have a lot of privilege. We have, Laura, um, three uh, fellows in our room that um, are prepared to talk about pretty much anything they just told me. Okay. But we'll start out by you know kind of talking about the Me Too movement. We've had a group of younger men in who, mm-hmm. um, actually a mixed group of men of color and white mm-hmm. men who've talked about privilege a little bit and, and the Me Too movement. We've had women, with mm-hmm. um, a number of women come in and talk about um, the Me Too movement. And, and, and here tonight we've got um, three men. I'm going to um, ask them to just maybe say a little bit about themselves first. So starting with former state senator Stephen. And, I, and I'm not sure I'm going to say your last name right. Urquhart. Urquhart. Thanks, I worked Stephen. with an Urquhart. Stephen, you want to say? You're probably related. Yeah. You want to say anything else about yourself? Uh, so I was in the legislature for 16 years, eight years in the House, eight years in the Senate. I'm a lawyer, and I did all that from St. George, but now I live in downtown Salt Lake City. Thanks Excellent. for coming in tonight. And then uh, sitting next to Stephen is Clay Burko. Clay, do you want to say something about yourself? I have absolutely no expertise on anything <laughs> cool. here. That's what we were hoping for today. You told me that you're the opposite politically of your friend Bob, who's next to you. Hey, Bob. Hello, how are you? Bob Campbell. So I, we're going to find out which side of the fence you're on. I, I'll look forward to it. I'm a local businessman here in Salt Lake City. And do you have expertise in, um, in, in life, Bob? I think I am the voice of reason, Dave. <laughs> okay. Well, I've known Bob for a long time. Let's start with you um, and start with this whole idea of uh, male privilege. How old are you, Bob, now? I am 60 years old. And you identify as a white man, right? I am. So have you ever had a woman say that you have privilege? I have not. Okay. If I some- don't know. It's because I haven't had privilege most of my life. I grew up dirt poor. My wife, I mean, my mother was a widow, raised four kids. She was an immigrant. So I've been poor my whole life, and I've been lucky and blessed and fortunate to do well in my business. So you can maybe say that of me now, but certainly not of my roots. So uh, if someone said to you, well, um, you've worked really hard, but um, uh, you still have some uh, opportunities because you're male or because you're white, would you disagree or agree with that? Opportunity? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that doors open for those of us that identify as male or white? Yes. Okay. I do think that that uh, is probably my viewpoints of what an idealistic world is and what a realistic world is. So uh, realistically, that's probably how the world is still today. Let me ask you one other question as long as you have the mic. Um, you 
you're familiar with the Me Too movement and being an older white gentleman um, who admits to having some privilege. How do, how do you view the Me Too movement? The, you were telling me earlier that it makes you uh, uncertain about how to relate to women these days. What's your thoughts on that? Um, uncertain in a way, maybe more uncertain about how to approach, how to greet. Um, don't want to be offensive as a businessman. You have to be politically correct as much as you can, but I have become somewhat afraid to maybe give a greeting like a hug and uh, or, you know, a, a air kiss or something like that is completely out of the question now. So I've been cautious of how I should act. Maybe I have acted poorly in the past and then just learned a more proper way to do it. So and I think the Me Too movement is a good thing. How, why is that? Well, I think um, people that have been sexually assaulted certainly need to have uh, recognition that they have been and their voice is concerned. But my hope would be is that something that happened to them that was tragic in their past, that they could finally talk to people about it and, and, and put it behind them. And then we as the rest of society should make an effort to make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. Clay, the Me Too movement is a good thing? It's absolutely. It's one of the best things that's happened in the last two decades. I've spent the last 32 years teaching high school math at a residential treatment center that specializes in adolescent sex offenders. And we get our clientele from all over the country. So you, you asked Bob earlier, does he feel, being a white male, that he's privileged. Mm -hmm. uh, I have been so privileged because I'm a white male that I had no idea that I was privileged. But over the years, teaching kids from the inner cities of Chicago, Philadelphia, victims of sexual abuse, perpetrators themselves of sexual abu abuse because it's a learned behavior, I... I'm beyond blessed, and part of my blessing was in this country because I just had the luck to be white and male, and it is so unfair in this country to anybody else who isn't one of those two things. And so it's possible to work really hard like Bob was talking about, maybe have uh, poverty in my past and be privileged at the same time. That's what you're saying? Yes, yeah. but the problem is, is there are people, well, women, for instance, here in Utah, okay, uh, the number that's thrown around a lot is the wage gap to where when you're, if you're a woman, you get paid, oh, about 20% less. And in certain fields, particularly what's perceived as a female profession like nursing, an RN in Utah makes a little over $1,000 a week if they're female. A male nurse in Utah makes almost $1,400 a week. 82% of the people in Utah that work in the healthcare field related to this, okay, 82% of them are women, but their average wage is $24,000 a year whereas men in the same field 
there is 28,000 a year. So you can understand why women would be upset. Of course. Yeah. The Lilly Ledbetter Act was passed almost 11 years ago, and nothing has really changed. Uh, Senator, you've been here in the conversation. You have some comments? Yeah, I'll tell you two things I have learned from the Me Too movement, um, two experiences. Uh, during the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, six male friends and I went to lunch with one female friend. And so this we, we get together all the time, and so she knows our stuff backwards and forwards. And But so someone said, okay, what do you think of the hearings? And so she listened for a while, then she started to state her opinion. And then eventually she just uncorked on us, which she never does. And so I think that this— we got to keep a lot in, Steve. Yeah, no, I know. And I, I think that this—what's going on in the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. she felt empowered, and she felt like, okay— I like you, idiot, so I'm going to teach you something. And so she explained to us why she didn't like what we were saying, but then also that we were just talking over her. Mm -hmm. And so a couple nights later, I went to something. I'm a mentor in the health sciences program up at the U. And so at my table, there were uh, two other men, me and five women. And these are all health professionals. And uh, so you know, we're having these table conversations. And I don't think I would have paid any attention to this before the movement. But the two guys, I practically had to just put my hand over their mouths, step <laughs> on their heads. <laughs> I, I, and I think really before this, I would have just, they had a lot to say. I would have had a conversation. I would have thought, what a great night. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I told my wife and my daughter who's at home with us i'm like oh my gosh this was the most amazing thing and they're like yeah this this happens every day you idiot you're you're just now noticing you're this. just getting woke yeah mm -hmm. well uh it's carecl 90.9 fm we're talking about uh, privilege and our our culture dr susan madsen if uh, she's been patient with us yes, is still on the phone with us patient. hi dr susan madsen Hi. Hey, thanks for hanging on the line, Utah Women in Leadership Project. I know you're very busy, got a bunch of work going on. And we had you looped into the system. Did you hear what we were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been very interesting and some great comments by the three men in the in the room, and I'm impressed. Why, why are you impressed? Just because they're trying to get the issue, and they're becoming more aware and anybody that says they understand the issue totally which they're not saying anybody that says that um, doesn't understand most of their unconscious biases <laughs> so these three um, are, are working on that and, and trying to be aware of the issue seeking out education and and just trying to understand and move forward in in positive ways and and acknowledging um, that there is there are issues, and that's a, that's a great start. So how are you working with your project, the Utah Women in Leadership Project, to facilitate these conversations? Because Dr. Dave and I had tried to do this conversation, oh, a couple, maybe a month and a half ago, and you had some folks lined up, Dr. Dave, and it was their wives who talked them out of it. They were worried oh. that about the backlash. Should they say the wrong thing on the radio? And that is unfortunate, but that uh, sometimes men are feeling that with the Me Too movement and so forth. Uh, but what I've been impressed with, we, we are doing a number of things, but what I've been impressed with is the number of 
men who really sincerely want to learn and grow and be involved in this. And a couple of months ago, we had about 25 male allies, is what we call them, in our, in our work, uh, meet together. Adobe uh, hosted it, but there were men from different companies and really dug in for a couple of hours in terms of of really ways that they've seen how to advance women in the workplace in different ways. And that was, we we released a two-pager on the findings there. And actually, right now, we are diving through deep data, qualitative data that we've collected for a survey on, um, on from men and women on what male males can do in the workplace to really help advance women. Um, in different ways. So I've been uh, impressed. We need many more men to, to really want to engage in these conversations, but but I've been impressed at in the gatherings that we've done and trying to collect data at the number of men that really do care about this issue and want to support. Um, we, we have a lot of work to do, though, in the state of Utah, to be honest, as you know. Well, aren't we the Laura, second, second most sexist know, state? What, you what's what? The, what's the first? Uh, uh, Arkansas, I think. Utah, mm-hmm. second most sexist state reacher, researchers say, but also women's internalized sexism appears to play a unique role. That was a story back in August at the Washington was. Post. <laughs> oh, but so, were you surprised by that? Um, not really. Uh, what we know, and when you look at the sexism, something, sometimes people don't understand what they're looking at, but but uh, what, what they found is males are sexist in the state of Utah, but women are, you know, our women are too. And those are really questions that are targeted on, on men should be leaders. Women really aren't. Men, you know, the, the distinction between roles. And that's where women in the state of Utah were the highest or second highest in the nation in terms of their sexism. So they believe men should do one thing, women should do another. So that was fascinating. I want to give the men a chance to, to talk about this issue, starting again with Bob. Um, what's hard about being a male today, especially a, a white male um, in um, Utah? Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what wouldn't women necessarily realize, do you think? Maybe your wife doesn't realize or your daughter. Or other what's people. hard about being a male in Utah? Well, um it could be because uh, um, being a white male anywhere um, has a, a way of getting that there's something wrong with you to start with. You know, I'm not a minority. I'm, I'm not a woman. And trying to um, act in a way that makes me somewhat feel comfortable around everybody is really difficult. So many people have different opinions and and uh, we was talking a little bit before this program, Dave, about civility and and how way people treat each other. And yeah, and I, I might point to this one issue. There are just people on different sides of uh, of the of the bar, um, politically, Democrats and Republicans mostly. That, given an opportunity, I feel like and you put them in a room with a with a with a baseball bat, they might go at each other. And uh, we treat people so differently. It's so easy to text somebody or say something mean on the Internet. But really, does that reflect that person? Probably not, but it certainly comes across that. So the civility, that how we treat each other, 
that has really gone downhill. And I don't think the media has done well to do it. I think they fan it. And um, I think we all have improvement in that one area. So if I was going to improve myself, is to be more forgiving of people. Try and understand the big picture. So not be, get being, caught up in things. Being kinder to each other. Oh, absolutely. I just, just want to ask a little bit more about that first thing you said, Bob, around um, that um, you feel like you're immediately held in suspicion of having something wrong with you. And what would be that thing that's wrong with you? Is it that, for example, you're se- you're assumed to be sexist or you're assumed to be racist? Is it that kind of um, thing? Just because I'm, I'm not a minority. Or I, I'm, I don't have a cause that seems logical or reasonable, you know. That, um, like I mentioned before, I, I've completely changed the way how I greet women. You know, um, how do you do things? Uh, uh, do you just shake your hand? Do you put your hand out first? Uh, and hugging's out of the question. You know, I even people, women in general that I am friends with, I'm kind of putting back mm-hmm. by uh, even hugging him and, and an air kiss or something like that. You know, I, in, in my own religion, we've taught to, to be um, avoiding the very appearance of evil. Right. Um, so you don't want to be accused of something. Uh, I'm a Boy Scouter, and there are times when, you know, I always uh, have a Boy Scout. He has to be in the back seat if I'm in the front seat. You know, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. I just don't want to have the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. So I'm so careful mm-hmm. nowadays of how to react and how to act in public that I don't want to have somebody misthink my intentions. Yeah. Sure. Dr. Susan Madsen, uh, with the Utah Women in Leadership Project, are you starting to track backlash against the Me Too movement? Say, say that question again. I lost you for a second. Are you starting to track backlash against the Me Too no, movement? No, we really aren't. Um, there are some backlash, but I, I do have to say that um, I'm going to be pretty blunt here. That that is um, the unconscious bias there um, that that really exists, uh, and the male privilege that really does continue to exist is so much stronger than any backlash that that is there. I, I say that because I've talked to my male students in class even, and most of them I teach uh, in the business school at UVU. Most of them come thinking, you know, just thinking some of these issues with minorities and women are just an inconvenience and that often talk about reverse discrimination when those things are so rare in, in when you can compare to the discrimination uh, that's out there and the unconscious, much of it unconscious these days, um, you know, yeah. against women and minorities. So it's interesting to, and even though it's a struggle in, in different situations, when you really look at the research, the research that's coming out, you know, the, the, the hardships on women and minorities still outweigh by far, some of the backlash for men. And I'm not not belittling that at all because many of the men that come to us want want some training and want some awareness and help me feel m- more comfortable with those kinds of things. But the, it's a, the unconscious bias issue is one of the things that we can do something about if we start taking uh, seriously some really good training and stuff because that's at the heart of most of the issues that we're talking about. Dr. Susan Madsen, Utah Women in Leadership Project, thanks for giving us some time tonight. You're welcome.
we'll put a link in the show notes to the research that uh, the Utah Women in Leadership Project is doing. So, Dr. Dave, my, one of the things that I think is hard when you feel like you're um, the stand-in for whatever the cultural angst is, is that, wait, I'm not that guy or I'm not that woman. Right. So we are immediately defensive. How do we deal with that? I was just thinking about the same issue, Lauren. You know, um, I was just in a, uh, a meeting this morning where we have um, folks that work at LDS Social Services and meeting with some of us that teach in the College of Social Work, and we were talking about sexism and racism, and a couple of the guys said, you know, that they're really concerned that people think that they're sexist or racist, kind of like Bob was saying, and I, I said to the group, you know, I, I am sexist and racist, and how could you not be in this culture we've grown up in? You know, most of the men that I was around when I was a kid had those perceptions. And when I say I, I am sexist and racist, I don't mean that Actively. I, I, I use it as an excuse to treat mm-hmm. people, you know, uh, out of those prejudices, but they're definitely inside of me. And I, I'm, I wanted to ask, um, our, you know, our other guests, um, you know, Clay and, and Stephen, whether you relate to that or not. Like if I said, do, do either of you feel like you, I mean, would it be true to say that that you're sexist or racist or have those other isms that we talk about? And is that something maybe that's common in all of us? Clay. Well, when, for instance, when Bob said that he's a little bit worried as a white male right. as to how to how to necessarily act, afraid he's going to make a mistake, I feel like as a white male, I have very little to worry about how I'm going to be accepted as far as that goes. We have a president and an associate justice of the Supreme Court that has shown us that you can treat anybody mm-hmm. as badly as you want to and not only get away with it, but be rewarded for it. So as, as a white man, what do I have to worry about other than somehow finding a way to lessen my time in purgatory by my various behaviors now? Mm-hmm. In other words, a lot of our fellow humans, maybe people of color, maybe women, um, who uh, are every day, have to deal with um, uh, uh, discrimination and, and people um, treating them as yeah. uh, lesser beings. And Absolutely. Yeah. I'm at the top of the heap, whether I'm proud of it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. Senator Urquhart. So um, I, I'm in the middle of a great awakening, which it's so fun. Um, I started running... Uh, sexual orientation, gender identity legislation probably six years ago and just learned so much about that. And so as I describe my journey, um, I freely say that I was a bigot. And by what is bigotry? It's, you know, if I knew someone who was gay, then that was my friend who was gay, who also was a lawyer. All the, you know, that's what I saw first. And so... Uh, you know, I, I just have completely overcome that, uh, you know, just don't even think about it, but, you know, the question, uh, sexist, racist, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this, as human beings, that's largely our paradigm. It's us and ours and other, and so part of the fun that I'm having in life is trying to build bridges and understand people who have been other in my life to where, I, I mean, this is a lot of fun for me, the Me Too movement. Yeah. 
it's embarrassing. Like I said, that that uh, meeting with the mentees, I, I wouldn't have got that a month before. And so, you know, I wish that I hadn't been so stupid my whole life. But I, I do love that I'm learning. I, I think it's very exciting. And I that's kind of the thing that always pushed me legislatively was equal rights. And I think we have an awful long ways to go as a nation. And this is an important part of it. We never have enough time, gentlemen, but I do have one more question. Maybe you each could respond to it if you have a thought. We, one of the reasons we wanted to invite you in is, you know, there's there's really not enough uh, mentoring that younger men get from older men who care. And if e each of you, you know, like if you just said one thing to the younger men that might be listening tonight around this whole topic, some kind of advice or thought, what would you say, starting with you, Stephen? Well, so my daughters, when I said this experience of the two men just so confidently wanting to say what they were doing, and my daughters say they deal with that all the time, so young men, shut up and let the women finish their sentences. Mm. Don't mm. talk over them, and, mm. uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll end up being a much better exchange. It's a big deal to not interrupt and listen. Thank you. I like that one. Clay, you got a, some advice? Yeah, what do you tell your clients that you teach math to? I try to, to stress how you treat people. I try to, in every interaction I have with the kids that I teach, the bottom line is I want them to come away from that interaction. And if they thought about it, saying, you know, my day was a little bit better because that old guy came by. I do not want to be for women, minorities, or anybody else. I do not want somebody to be able to say, you know, I'd have had a whole lot better day if I hadn't had to deal with that guy. So leave people in better place than when you first saw them. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. So, Bob, I know you work with Boy Scouts. You mentioned it tonight. Maybe that's, maybe you can uh, give us a final thought. Like, what, what would be your advice to all these young men you're working with around this topic? Well, um, I've told many times uh, uh, how they react with, with girls when they grow up, that um, treat them like how they would be if they were your sister mm -hmm. or your mother. Yeah, I, I try to teach them to be gentle, gentlemen. I, I try to tell them that it's right to open up doors, although I've opened up doors for, for, for women, <laughs> and they completely go to the other side and open up that door. Yeah, and they're just mad happen. at me because I held the door open for them. Yeah, and um, I've also had women open doors for me, and I say, yeah. thank you yeah. very much. Yeah, I, I think it's a considerate thing and being kind to one another. So chivalry, being a gentleman, being responsible, keeping your word—those are the ideals I think we need to aspire to. Thank you, gentlemen. Dr. Dave, and the conversation's only just begun. I think yep. we need to either have these folks back or bring in three yep. other folks yep. and keep it going. I really appreciate your time. Stephen yeah. Urquhart, Clay Burko, and Bob Campbell. Thank you. Pleasure Fun. having yeah. you in. Yeah, I really appreciate your comments. Questions, comments, suggestions, send an email to radioactive at krcl.org. Show's always posted online. You can find it through our Facebook pages as well. My thanks to Tommy Sutter, Billy Palmer, Billy Dr. Dude. Dave, and all of our guests this evening for participating in a show for grassroots activists and community builders. Thank you so much for everyone who supported us during Radiothon. Don't forget, vote, the Radiothon vote, Pickup Party vote. is November 1st. And Billy, vote, 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 vote. Democracy Now! is next.
KRCL 90.9 FM HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org.